So we are continuing a conversation. We began last week. We were talking about the law. Jesus, um, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, this most famous sermon of his, he talks about the law. People had said to him, Jesus, you hang out with the wrong kind of people. You hang out with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, Are you soft on crime? Do you not like the law? And Jesus answered them. He said, he said, no, the law is fine. The law is great. I came to fulfill the law. I didn't come to abolish it. He says, the problem is not the law. The problem is us. The problem is people. And so Jesus says, the law is great. It's us people who are the problem. And then before we can even pause to, to kind of uh, figure out what it is he means by that, and if you've got kind of concerns about that, you, let me encourage you to go back and look at uh, last week's online, but last week's message online. But Jesus immediately launches into a series of illustrations. And the first one he begins is maybe the most puzzling of all. He has six illustrations, and the first one is about murder. And my guess is that um, none of you have murdered anyone. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, um, but 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 I'm hoping that, that the incidence of murder in, in this congregation is very small. And my guess is it was very small in the in the the audience that was listening to Jesus preach that first sermon that that sermon on the mount uh, and i think it's just because murder is such a strange crime it's such a such an intense crime i don't know how many of you saw in the news this this week about the the murder in russia uh, boris nemtsov okay a couple of hands so uh, boris nemtsov he was a uh, a critic of vladimir putin and he was murdered in cold blood in what was described as a contract-style killing um, out in public. Um, Not just in public, but as this picture shows, in sight of Red Square. That's uh, St. Basil's Cathedral right behind him. Um, And that's the crime scene uh, right there where Boris Nemtsov was shot, just just as uh, uh, plain as day, right out there in public. And um, so Vladimir Putin is on the case. He says he's not going to rest until the real killer is found. And um, if I was uh, him, I might give advice to the investigators, telling them to look for someone who has who has uh, a means, an opportunity, and motive, and that they might concentrate on looking for somebody who uh, who uh, would benefit from the death of this critic. So maybe they'll eventually find uh, <laughs> maybe they will eventually find out who's behind it. I don't know, but um, the the. Next picture shows uh, Russians um, leaving flowers at the scene of the death that was yesterday in Russia, and uh, ambassadors from Europe went to the scene and so forth. So, um, so it's uh, quite the the cause in the news, uh, particularly in the news in Europe, uh, what's going on in Russia. But uh, when I think about a murder like that, I think who could do that? Um, you know, I, I just can't imagine getting to the place where you can say my life would be simpler if that person was dead. And then you you coldly plot out how to kill them, or you plot out how to have somebody else kill them. I can't I can't get myself into that place. When I think about when I think about murder, I, I can I can imagine maybe um, some kind of a crime of passion, um, uh, you know, where you're you're blinded by rage for a moment. You know, somebody cuts you off in traffic, and then you chase after them, and you get into a car accident, and there's a vehicular homicide. I can maybe kind of imagine how you might get into that place. But I can't imagine just plotting out a murder and deciding to kill somebody. And that's why I find this so odd that Jesus would begin with this, which I'm hoping was true in the first century and I'm hoping is true here. Most of us are like that. Most of us cannot get to that place where we say, I can't imagine committing a murder. 
And Jesus says, you've heard it said of old that you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder is liable to judgment. He says, the Old Testament law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law against murder, but I want to talk about something else. He says, the Old Testament law is good. If you look at the Old Testament law, and if you think about it in the context of a lawless society, there was no law, this is the law. Uh, if you think of what would happen in a murder, imagine the Hatfields and the McCoys. What do you get? Somebody kills somebody else, you get a vendetta. You get a feud, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, people keep taking out uh, members of the opposing clan, the opposing tribe, until nobody's left. And Jesus says that the law is good, because what the law said is, it's not just between you Hatfields and McCoy. When When there is a murder, society itself is the victim. And so society will solve the problem. It's not up to you, the Hatfields, or you, the McCoys, to sort this out. Society will. And so the law had all kinds of provisions. It said, it said that you had to have a city of refuge. You could, you could run away and hide, and they were not allowed to get revenge on you until society had had a time to sort out who was at fault. And when they did, it couldn't simply be one person's uh, word that said, uh, I saw him and he was deliberately trying to kill that person. You had to have multiple witnesses they could all testify to agree that it was it was a it was a deliberate act there was even a rule that said you couldn't ransom your way out of it that that if the hatfields were wealthy and the mccoys were poor the hatfields couldn't simply buy off the mccoys they couldn't pay a ransom and let bygones be bygones that even the poorest people in the society had recourse to the law that they couldn't simply have to be forced to take whatever was handed to them so there's nothing wrong, Jesus says, there's nothing wrong with the Old Testament law. The problem with the Old Testament law is it's like the police tape that you see at a crime scene. It says, do not go beyond this point. It says nothing at all about what's happening outside the crime scene. And Jesus says, that's what I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about what happens when you actually get to murder. He says, I want to talk about what happens well before you get to the place where you're talking about murder. He says, that is what is important. He says, when you are angry, when you call someone a fool, when you insult someone, Jesus says, Jesus says, um, I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. If you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus says, if you even insult someone, you're in trouble. And I think that's where a lot of us kind of put in the brakes. We say, look, I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine committing murder, but now Jesus, suddenly you're talking to me. You're talking to me, Jesus, because I can imagine getting more, uh, angry with someone. I can imagine calling someone a fool. I don't have to even imagine because I've done it. I did it earlier today or I did it yesterday. I do this. This is, you're talking to me, Jesus. And now I want to know What's the big deal? What's the big deal, Jesus? Have you ever heard the phrase, sticks and stones, Jesus? Why don't you lighten up? What's the big deal? It's just words. Jesus would say, well, maybe it is words. But let me ask you this. Uh, uh, there's a website. Um, I think it's, there's a picture of it. Um, there's a website, and I've, I've obscured the title so you can't go there. I don't want you going here. This is a bad thing. Don't, do not do this. But what you can do is you can pay nine ninety nine, and they will send anywhere in the world an envelope full of glitter. 
And the idea is when your victim opens it up, a bunch of glitter spills out on their desk and it sticks around forever um, because they can never clean it all up or it gets in the carpet and they can never clean it all up. And it's this petty little vindictive act you can do. And it comes with a letter that's full of nasty words that says what a bad person they are and how this glitter is to remind them that there are people who hate them. And we might say, what's wrong with that? I mean, yeah, it's kind of petty, it's kind of vindictive, but it's better than killing them, right? It's better than killing them, right? (laughs) And I think Jesus would say, yeah, but do you see the problem? What happens if you do this and then you get elected president of Russia or president of the United States? What happens to people who are in positions of power if this is their mindset? Jesus would say that it is, the, the reason for this, the reason this is a problem, is that people in places of high power are surrounded by people who want to please them. 900 years ago, King Henry II of England was musing about some of the people who were giving him trouble, and he mentioned the Archbishop of Canterbury. He said, he said about Thomas a Becket, he said, will someone rid me of this meddlesome priest? And he had some people who were in earshot who heard him giving vent to his spleen, and they said, absolutely, we can do something about your meddlesome priest. And they went out and killed him. Because people in positions of power have people around them who want to please them. And if you start down the path by mailing glitter to someone, where will it end? Jesus says, guard your heart. Jesus says, listen to your words. Pay attention to your emotions because they tell you where you're headed. They tell you what path you're on. In the previous century, two centuries ago, I guess now, um, Lord Acton in England, he added uh, some, some depth to this. He said, power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Because if you are in the position of Henry II, if you're in the position of Vladimir Putin or Barack Obama or anybody else in a position of power, you have to guard your heart even more so because power itself corrupts. The person who ends up ending, uh, getting rid of your meddlesome priest may be you because power corrupts. So Jesus says instead, guard your heart, listen to your words, find out what kind of person you are, find out which way you're headed. And then he gives us some very practical advice. He says, don't do that. In the, in the Middle Ages, there was a word that was, it was coined, and it's not used anymore because it's considered an insult, um, but uh, about six or 700 years ago, it was actually a positive thing. It's the word cretin. Does anyone know where the word cretin comes from? C-R-E-T-I-N? It's a word that was applied to people who had, who had uh, obvious physical or mental disabilities. And, and today, people, if you call somebody a cretin, they will consider that an insult. But six or 700 years ago, it was actually a positive thing because what it was was a way of reminding yourself that this person was a Christian. That's what the word actually came from. It, it, it was developed from the word Christian. And what it meant was not that this person goes to church, not that this person believes in Jesus, but that Jesus gave his life for this person. So when you see someone 
who you might be tempted in, in those days to poke with a stick or throw a stone at, uh, somebody who gave you the creeps, who made you think about bad things happening to you, what the word Cretan taught you is that Jesus died for that person. So substitute a different word. Instead of saying you're ugly or you're stupid, say you're a Christian. You're someone that Jesus died for. That's a great way of dealing with the problem. Change the temperature inside you by fiddling with that gauge that tells you what the temperature actually is. When when you're angry with someone, someone is driving along and they they cut you off and you swerve and you're afraid and your adrenaline starts to pump and you think they could have killed me. They could have run me right off the road and I could have died in a snowbank. And you're tempted to say something bad. Well, you probably are more than tempted. And you say, you idiot. Jesus would say, how about this? Try, try this on. Say, bless their heart. They're in such a hurry. They're in such a hurry. I hope they don't cause an accident. And pray, Jesus, stop that person before they cause an accident. Keep them from doing any harm. Let them get pulled over by a policeman and get a big ticket. Because they could cause an accident. Jesus says, that's productive. Jesus knows there are fools. In fact, he ends this sermon. He ends the Sermon on the Mount talking famously about the wise man who built his house on the rock. The one who hears these words of mine and puts them into practices like the wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain came down and the floods came up and the house stood. But then he said, there's a foolish man. Jesus knows there are fools. The question is, what will we do? Will we listen to his words? And will we put them into practice? When someone comes up to you and says, I've got this great idea, and you're listening to it and going, that's a really, really dumb idea. (laughs) Instead of saying it's a dumb idea, maybe you could say, are you sure that's wise? Do you think that's wise? And if they say, oh, I think it is wise, you say, well, good luck with that because I'm not going to participate. You don't have to call it a dumb idea. Jesus says words matter. Words are something you can listen to. Your internal temperature, gauge your emotions, because these things matter, and they change you. He gives another example of what we can do. He says, he says if you are in church, and you're about ready to write a big check, the preacher will be happy if you do. The treasurer will be happy if you do. The financial secretary will be happy if you do. And the council will be delighted if you do. But he says, if you remember, right before you're about ready to write that big check, your brother or sister has something against you, he says, stop. Leave that place. Go and be reconciled with your brother or sister because God wants you to do that. Then you can come back and make the preacher happy. But first, make God happy. First, bring about love. Bring about reconciliation. If you do these things, as Jesus says, you will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. But more than that, you will be a better person. You will be a happier person. You will sleep better. Because there are fools in the world. Jesus knows that. The question is, are they going to convert you into something you don't want to become? And beyond that, if you put these words into practice, 
if you become the kind of person Jesus wants you to be, people will notice. People will look at you and they'll say, you know, that guy used to be a hothead. But he's so good at dealing with people now at work. I wish I could be like that person. He's got such an even keel. He just maintains an uh, 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 even strain. I'd like to be like that person. Even if they don't know who Jesus is, they will look at you, they will see the way you behave around people that are troublesome. And they'll say, I'd like to be like that. Imagine if the church put into practice these words that Jesus gave us 2,000 years ago. If instead of calling people a fool, if instead of having the road rage incident, if we said, bless their heart, if we said, are you sure that's wise? If we sought to be reconciled with the people that we've hurt, imagine how the world would be a better place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for these words of Jesus. We pray that you would give us uh, um, ears to listen to ourselves, that you'd help us to monitor our emotional temperature, and you'd give us the courage to seek reconciliation when, when we don't want to, so that we can become better people, so that we don't start down the path that begins with glitter bombs and ends with political shooting. We pray, Lord, you'd protect us from that and that by your grace you'd make us better people. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.